Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Raggett's Roundtable with Will Raggett's and our roundtable guest, Andrew Kramer of the Star Tribune. So I'm going to pass it over to Will and we can start our roundtable discussion. What is up, Will? Not a whole lot. Just uh, getting ready for another day of training camp. But uh, the big news of yesterday, Tuesday uh, at TCO Performance Center was Irv Smith Jr. The announcement from Kevin O'Connell on a day that he was actually not scheduled to speak came over and told us, which was appreciated, that Irv Smith Jr., the reason he left practice early on Monday was a thumb injury. He had surgery Tuesday morning and will miss the remainder of training camp and the preseason. They are still hopeful that they will have him week one against the Packers, which is a big deal whether they have him or not, just because uh, Irv is a player that is a popular breakout candidate. He was a popular breakout candidate last year until he got injured, and the Vikings don't really have – any other proven depth at tight end. I think their entire roster had one regular season catch at tight end last year. Johnny Munt had, had one reception for the LA Rams. So uh, it, it's a big, it's a big blow for Smith. It's hopefully not going to be anything that keeps him out of regular season action, but yeah, they kind of got to regroup now going forward the rest of training camp and in the preseason. And, and maybe we'll see what they have in guys like Zach Davidson and Ben Ellison and Johnny Munt. So um yeah Andrew what was your kind of initial reaction to the Smith news and how the Vikings might go forward and adjust without him yeah it's just a real bummer for everybody who was looking to see what Irv could finally do uh he had such a good preseason and camp last year in a different offense and we heard Kevin O'Connell back to at the combine talking about how I see his skill set as a deep threat we're going to be able to get him involved in this passing game and that's why I don't think if Irv were to miss time in the regular season I don't think the hand-wringing about who they're going to replace him with will matter because they're not going to find somebody with that skill set. That Johnny Munt's not it. Zach Davidson's not it. Um, they're going to find ways to get other guys involved, particularly K.J. Osborne, some of these receivers, um, and lean even more on that 11-3 and three wide personnel that they did last year when they lost Irv Smith. And so I think this offense becomes a little more Ram-centric when you don't have that tight end uh, who's dynamic down the field. And it, it just sucks. It sucks for Irv. Um, and it's just another step back for him. But in for them to come out and O'Connell to say, hopefully he'll be ready for week one, that doesn't create a lot of confidence that that is the exact uh, expectation. I, I think they said barring any setbacks. So it's kind of a wait and see approach of this guy can't catch passes until September. Um, when exactly is he going to be ready? So I wouldn't expect them to make any kind of move at tight end because they still expect him to be re uh, ready at some point early in the regular season. It's just yeah, a matter of how do they adjust um, this offense. 
Oh, sorry, Andrew. I, I think that uh, they should trade a fourth round pick for maybe whoever the Jets' fourth <laughs> tight end is. That's probably the way to solve this problem. Uh, <laughs> with Irv, with, with I, I mean, I think that, you know, it's another one of those bad luck things for him. I mean, last year just seemed kind of like a random injury after a really good training camp. And then he was just starting to ramp up and get back into playing shape. And I think that that's where I would have concerns about not only week one, but what he's going to look like the first few weeks of the season, because if he had played all of last year and was hundred percent healthy, and then it was just a thumb thing. Like, okay, well, that's yeah, not that big of a deal. He'll just get back when it's week one. But now we're talking about a guy who hasn't played and hasn't had a training camp since 2020. And if you recall, he was even banged up in 2020. So this is kind of becoming a bit of a, a pattern. And I'm not saying injury prone, because I think that a lot of injuries are random. And this might have been getting your thumb stuck in somebody's face mask by accident. But it's just a lot of time missed for someone who's supposed to be a really key player. And I also think that, you know, I got some questions from fans over the off season and this is, uh, you know, I, I'd like your guys reaction to this, but because just like, is it questionable that Johnny Munt was the only other guy with any experience? I mean, he's been in the league since 2017. He has 10 receptions and it's, it sounds like he's a fantastic and wonderful run blocker. That's great. But to have your starting tight end be so valuable and not even look for another guy who has experience catching the ball. It's like last year when they lost Irv, it was not devastating because they had Tyler Conklin this year. They let Tyler Conklin go and don't resign him. Don't add anybody else with previous receiving experience. And already it kind of punches them in the face a little bit here. Yeah. And I guess the question of how much it matters depends on how important two things, how important you think the tight end possession position will be in this offense. And I don't think you can completely write it off and say like, Oh, it doesn't matter. They're going to go with receivers like tight ends do things that receivers can't do that fullbacks can't do that running backs can't do. There's a versatility there. And we saw for a long time with the Rams, Tyler Higby, like he was a productive player. He was a part of their receiving game. He was a big part of their, their blocking. So yeah, it's a good point that Andrew made. Like they don't have a Tyler Conklin this year. They don't have, a guy who's going to be able to step up and, and be an Irv Smith Jr. So I do think they'll probably just pivot to more wide receivers and go four wide at times and um, use CJ Ham probably in different ways. But, yeah, it's, it's an unfortunate thing to lose Irv. Uh, it's unfortunate for him. It's unfortunate for the Vikings because they were planning on having him and they were incorporating him in different ways, um, using him out wide, using him in line. So – um, we'll see ultimately like how, how quickly he's able to come back, how big this loss is. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that they're going to have anybody. They're, they're probably not going to bring anybody in. They're probably not going to have anybody who can kind of step in and, and do what Irv, uh, like replicate his skill set at all. Yeah. And what this coaching staff is really good at, and at least going back to LA is, is they're really good at obviously creating those mismatches of we're going to get Justin Jefferson on a linebacker. We're going to find ways um, to put guys that, you know, put them on defenders that can't cover them. And Irv is such a great piece for that. And so this really removes one of those ways that they could be creative. Um, Irv could get on a safety 
or get on a corner and, and out physical him or outrun a linebacker. You could do really creative things with his skill set. And that is what's going to hamper them of like the playbook might become that much thinner if you don't have him against Green Bay in week one. And to Matt's point, if you don't have him at full strength, this is going to be a guy who could still run around and do all those things. But is he going to be as comfortable in the playbook? The biggest thing we heard from Irv in the spring was they're trying to challenge him from the neck up. They're trying to get him to learn this playbook. Well, the best way of learning is by doing it, is by going out and practicing it, by going through preseason reps, by getting in and out of the huddle, lining up where you're supposed to, doing all those things. As dynamic of an athlete as Irv is, one of the question marks was how comfortable is he with this new offense? And so if he's not doing those things, are you going to have all of it at your disposal, even if he's ready physically week one? Is he mentally going to be ready? week one or is there going to be another ramp up period where you're waiting until week three or four to get them going so that in september is going to hamper maybe what you can do with these matchups it creates in my opinion it makes the wide receivers that much more important because you're not having that extra kind of chess piece i guess yeah and, and i was just pulling this up here about the rams stats from last year and uh, the tight end was a big part of what they did tyler higby was third on their team in receiving yards last year and uh, I think that all of these offenses that are kind of rooted in play actions and things like that, it's kind of a big position and adding an extra downfield element to a tight end really messes with defenses. So if he's not there right off the bat or not a hundred percent, or like you said, hasn't mastered the offense yet to the point where he can play the entire game from the beginning, you're kind of behind the eight ball with somebody that you were flying without a parachute with, with Irv Smith. And the other thing is too, that like what we saw in training camp last year with somebody that looked like he was an emerging star in the league. And now to have that setback, it's like, well, when will that version come? Like, uh, and there's, I mean, with a thumb injury, like who knows, but catching a football is not an easy thing to do with all of your digits working. So, I mean, are, are we going to see uh, the full version right off the bat or will it take until mid season? Because I mean, I'm even thinking of some previous injuries that we've seen where guys came back like, Latavius Murray had an offseason surgery, came back, and for the first, I think, three, four weeks, he was really slowed down. And then he finally kind of kicked into gear and got into full speed. But even when they're talking about, think about this, they're talking about, well, you know, he's still going to be able to run around and stuff. Right. But those practices also get guys in game shape, play after play after play after play in 90 degree heat. To, to be able to go out there and play 65 snaps or something as they're going to ask a tight end, like that requires a, a lot of work to build up to that, that Irv Smith's not going to have. So it's, it's certainly not the doomsday or the worst case scenario, which would have been he's out for a really long time with a broken hand or something like that. But it does make me wonder if early on they're going to have to lean on some of these other guys. And I guess the one that is the most interesting to people is Zach Davidson because he's raw, but he ran a four, six, four at six foot seven, which is, it's really something to see him out there kind of galloping around, but he's also an extreme noob. Like this guy was playing at central Missouri as a tight end slash punter two years ago. I mean, it, it it's just hard to believe that, you know, a year later, that he would be ready to take on any sort of big role here. And, and usually what we've seen in the past is it's kind of like year three, almost even year four for developmental tight ends before we kind of see anything out of them if they're late round draft picks. So now he's going to be asked, especially like in third downs, maybe it, it, to, to step in 
But it'll also be interesting to watch as we get into these preseason games, who kind of shows uh, where they stand. Yeah, back to the, the Irv point for just a second. I mean, catching a ball with an injured thumb sounds really difficult. Blocking people with an injured thumb sounds really difficult, even if K.J. Osborne said yesterday that blocking isn't that difficult. It's probably more difficult when you have an injured hand. Uh, so the, the interesting thing to me will be, like, they need to win week one against the Packers. They need to prioritize winning these games early. So how do you balance bringing Irv back and getting him up to speed versus putting the players on the field that are going to give you the best chance to win? Is that Irv for 50 snaps if he's not uh, at full health? Or is it a lot more K.J. Osborne, Amir Smith-Marset, people like that? That part's interesting to me. With Zach Davidson, I mean, it's a guy who, like, I don't think – we saw nothing from him last year. And I don't think that – that means that he's going to have or even is a candidate to have like a K.J. Osborne type of second season where he comes along and uh, is this big producer because K.J. Osborne was playing uh, like he played at Miami and he was a productive player there. And uh, there were there were signs even in uh, in training camp his rookie year and, and his second season. I don't see that with Zach Davidson. Um, Wes Phillips yesterday said that when he was at Central Missouri, it looked like he was playing against a bunch of Wes Phillips out there, um, which is which is pretty funny. Like he just didn't have the competition. He dominated at that level, which you should, if you're going to, and that's how he became an NFL draft pick. But I don't see that really being any sort of, unless, unless he shows us a lot in the remainder of camp and in the preseason, I don't see that being any sort of uh, reliable option early this season at all. Yeah. I I don't expect anything from Zach Davidson. And that's just, it's because of where he's coming from. It's because it's his second year. It's because of what you guys are saying that, Typically, that tight end position takes a couple of years for even somebody coming out of the SEC, maybe like it takes a little bit. And Wes Phillips said yesterday that Zach's still kind of coming along with the whole run blocking part of it. And if you're going to play any role in a three wide set or even uh, two tight end personnel that they might dabble in with this O'Connell offense, you got to be able to push around a linebacker. And I just don't see it. So, frankly, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Ben Ellison's the number two tight end in week one if if. Irv Smith is not full go by that point. So I think Zach Davidson's an intriguing guy, an intriguing receiving option. We've seen him catch a lot of passes in camp so far, but I just don't see how he's going to have any kind of role come the regular season um, when he can't necessarily block the guys he needs to block right now. Okay. Just to make every single possible point about the Irv Smith situation, he does have a contract that is coming up, right? And it makes me think about even drafting tight ends high and how you mentioned the development curve where we've seen a lot of teams develop tight ends for other teams. Like you, you get them and they don't succeed right away. And then, you know, three, four years into their career, then it's almost like the Vikings developed Tyler Conklin for the jets, right? They got to use him for one year and then he just goes to another team. And with Irv Smith, like where we stand right now, I mean, this draft pick has not even been close to a success. I mean, this is really the year to prove that it is a success, but being a number two tight end for two years where you get like 30 catches as the one B to Kyle Rudolph uh, and then missing an entire season, again, not his fault, but if we're evaluating the draft pick, like we all know from watching this man play football that he's good at football, but if you were just to pull up like his career and look at it on Wiki or something, there was no real evidence of that. And so this is the year for him to show the evidence of what we've been seeing in training camp or seeing in flashes in games or when he's had a chance to be tight end number one. 
But th- there's a reason why there's only like four good tight ends in the entire NFL because injuries and because, you know, the development curve is so steep. And so he has to come back right away and kind of justify this or they're going to have a really difficult decision to make on whether you re-sign him or not, especially if this ends up being something he battles with throughout the season. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. It's it's putting them in kind of a, a tough situation, which was already going to be a tough situation. I think we've covered every angle we can uh, on this on this Irv Smith news. So well, we didn't talk from, about his butterfly tat on his neck. <laughs> yeah, and the Hulk on his on his left hand is pretty cool too. Um, oh, wait, so but, wait, wait, wait. What didn't he say he was going to smash people's? Why he got the Hulk, and then he got his thumb smashed. Oh no, I didn't even think about that. That's that's unfortunate. I don't know if it's the same hand though. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we know which hand it is. We do not. No but anyways, it is we're about, I would say, a third of the way into training camp, a quarter of the way. Um, roughly, we're not halfway yet. So the disclaimer still applies that we have not seen that much. We've seen one padded practice out, out of their 11, I believe. We're going to see another one um, later today. But we've also seen a lot more than we had when when Collar and I recorded a podcast on the literal first day of training camp. So Let's talk about a few of the uh, kind of storylines that have emerged early in camp and should we care about them? Do they do they matter or are they kind of early noise that doesn't mean a whole lot? And I want to start with the guy who's been catching my eye almost every day is rookie cornerback Andrew Booth Jr. And it's as much with his play, which I've been impressed with. He had an interception against Kirk Cousins on, on day one or day two. Uh, he's had some good reps he had some good reps against Justin Jefferson yesterday, even when uh, Patrick Peterson was taking a, a vet day. He's uh, mixed in with the twos, the ones, and um, you can kind of see the fluidity that the Vikings like in him, the athleticism. But it's also been just kind of his attitude. And, like, he's barking at everybody. It doesn't matter if it's Amir Smith-Marset or Myron Mitchell or Justin Jefferson. Like, after a one-on-one rep, whether it's drills or team period or whatever, like, he's talking to people. And to me – there, there's a there's a line there like that's a that's a thing you need to have you need to have some irrational confidence when you're playing the cornerback position because it's just a, a difficult position to play and like you want to be kind of that alpha you also don't want to like go too far and be like fighting people every play and drawing penalties and stuff like that but uh booth has just stood out to me a lot both for his play and then also just we're, we're close enough that we can hear a lot of the things he's saying how much like should we buy into like Andrew Booth is this this dog cornerback that the Vikings haven't had since maybe prime Xavier Rhodes. Folks, training camp is here and there's no better way to represent your purple fandom by going to sodastick.com and checking out all their Minnesota sports-inspired goods. The best football designs, in my opinion, are Randy Moss's disgusting act and the purple people eaters look. But look, there's lots more for you to check out at sodastick.com, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, t-shirts, hoodies, Hats, whatever you're looking for, use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER at checkout for 15% off your purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Yeah, I, I like it. I like seeing that out of him. I think it was that first pad of practice on Monday where he had to be separated from BC Johnson. It might have been yesterday, actually. I don't remember, but he had to be separated from BC Johnson after throwing him down and BC having some words with him afterward. And yeah, I mean, you like that. I like to see that because Booth is like one of, if not the youngest player on this roster. And at that position, that mentality, you just need it. You need to have it. You need to be able to forget when you screw up and just move forward and always have that irrational confidence, as we talked about. We've seen that from some guys. I think Chris Boyd's got that. But Booth is so much more talented. He's just a better prototype player. Um, he, he's got a lot of the ball skills that you're looking for at that position. But what he is, is too physical. He's too physical. He was at college. He's probably going to be too physical in the NFL. And you're going to have to rein that back. And it's going to be a big learning process for him. And corner is, is really the big question mark. One of the big question marks in this defense right now, because Cameron Dantzler is still taking those first team reps. At what point does Booth start getting some of those and start siphoning them off? Because Cam Dantzler, I don't think... I don't think the Vikings view him as that long-term solution. It's why you spend a second-round pick at corner to bring in Booth. You think he's going to be the guy eventually. It's just a matter of when. And, and right now, I think he's showing some good things early on in camp. I think it's a clear Andrew bias there from Andrew and his analysis. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I, That's fair. That's fair. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I think that it it's always telling. It's like we need the things that they do to match up with the things that they say to match up the things that we see, right? And with Andrew Booth Jr., it's kind of all those things coming together at this moment, which is they're giving him high praise. He got first team reps with Patrick Peterson out, which is really telling that they think he was ready to do that or wanted to see him even in a non-padded practice to do that. And then the things that we see, like you're talking about that skill set. And, uh, you know, I, I like what you're saying, Will, uh, about the confidence and the irrational confidence of a corner because those guys have to get over it. And we've seen corners that don't get over it before and they just kind of get run out of the league. Uh, but for me, it's just the way that the guy moves. Like even the, the, the feats and the, the fluidity, like there's just a different smoothness to his game that, you know, not everybody has. And like Xavier Rhodes is a good example. He's not as big as Xavier Rhodes. That's what made Rhodes such a freak is that he was gigantic and had this fluidity, but at least in the way that he moves, it's similar. It's not quite Patrick Peterson. Who's one of the all-time great corners where it just seems like everything is super easy for him. Uh, but when you compare, when you watch like an, a Caleb Evans or a Harrison hand or somebody else versus the footwork and how he matches with the receivers. And like you said, is his college tape and playing the ball as well as he did. Like everything is kind of coming together and aligning for him to have a really good camp here and maybe make some noise. I mean, I think what the ideal scenario for them is that is that they feel confident confident in Dantzler by the end of this camp and preseason. And then Booth is like your first guy off the bench, because I totally agree that that, that curve from college to the NFL, no matter how much we like what we're seeing on the training camp field, it is just super tough. Go look at the PFF data for how well uh, rookie corners perform. There might be one guy a year and sometimes there's no guys per year that have a good season right away. So you would much rather have him be mixing in and out with a Patrick Peterson, playing a handful of snaps a game, developing, try to give him favorable matchups if you can and not match up against some of the best wide receivers. Although not that the Packers have any good wide receivers, but uh, you know, just uh, <laughs> overall throughout the season. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think that if we're talking about like the winner of training camp, one padded practice in, it's probably Andrew Booth Jr. 
Yeah, that's why I wanted to point out kind of the the talent that we've seen. Not just, I mean, it's been getting a lot of attention his his attitude and some of the the scuffles and things like that. But I, I've been really impressed as as impressed as you can be early on with just his movement and the way he he plays the position. Um, so I think the, the key things for him obviously are going to be staying healthy. That was a big question mark. That's why he wasn't a first round pick. I think uh, I think he probably would have if he had put together that whole. Um, like the, the testing and all that in the, uh, in the pre-draft process uh, and then cutting down and, and kind of being, being taught a little bit more technique. So he's not being too grabby. He's not getting a bunch of penalties, things like that. But let's talk about uh, the backup quarterback position. One of the, one of my favorite positions to talk about one of everyone's favorite positions, Kellen Mond. This was a big year for him, a big training camp for him. Uh, really kind of a mess of a rookie year it was, publicly called out by his former head coach, uh, barely saw the field. He was running behind Sean Mannion kind of all throughout the year as, as the third quarterback. And this year he has an opportunity to bypass Mannion and to be that second quarterback and to, for roster building purposes, to make Mannion expendable possibly. And in my eyes, you guys may disagree with me, I just haven't really seen any progress yet. There's been flashes, like the mechanics, I think they look a little bit better. He, he's added a little bit of weight after he dealt with the whole COVID thing last year, uh, which was kind of a big reason why his rookie season was a, was a, was a mess. Um, but to me, it just still hasn't been there accuracy wise. Um, when you watch him in, in the 11 on 11s, the seven on sevens, it's still like he seems to be thinking a lot and being hesitant. And there's a lot of times where he, he waits and he waits and then he tucks the ball down and he runs and, and you're like, just just rip it. Like you might not be wide open, but it's training camp. Like you gotta you gotta work on things like that. So I don't know. I mean, Sean Mannion has not been much better, if any better. Um, so that whole position is a question mark. But how much should we should we read into or care about seven practices in Kellen Mond not seeming to to have taken much of a step? And and again, you can disagree with me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think we and, and fans should be really patient with this. Um, and I think the coaching staff should be too, because as you said, we are, I think we're too bad. At, we keep saying one, I think we're too bad at practices into this, right? Today's Wednesday. Yes. Yeah, so we've had Monday and Tuesday. Um, I think, I don't, th- I don't think they were padded yesterday though. Yeah. They, they were in shorts, but they were padded. Weren't they? Did I, did I miss that? Okay. never mind. Uh, no, they, they, I don't <laughs> think they were. I don't think they were. Oh, my bad. Anyway, regardless. Well, but, but, we, but, but by the time that this is published and people are listening nah, to it, it will go. be too. So maybe yep. that's what you're thinking. <laughs> um, but we've, we've seen just these few, pa- these few practices in camp. It's a new offense. I think Mond has looked really slow, as you said. I think he. there's a lot of times where he's just patting, patting, patting the ball, would have been sacked, would have had a lot of pressure if this were live. Um, and I just, I'm not seeing a whole lot of, out of him yet, but it's also August 3rd. And so I think with time, with this offense, the coaching staff probably is hoping to see incremental steps along with this month, these preseason games. They'll probably go a long way in deciding if Mond is actually ready to be the backup over Sean Mannion, because we've seen Sean Mannion come in and look serviceable, at least get the ball in the right place in, in some of these schemed passes. Can Mon do the exact same thing? And if he can, he at least adds that mobility, that versatility to his game that Mannion has never had. And then that might be enough to, to vault him up to that spot. And maybe they keep all three of them. Uh, maybe they find a way and, and don't feel comfortable enough in, in, in Mond at this point to, to decide, hey, we'll just keep all three once again and move forward that way. But yeah, I think patience is the key at that spot because 
you know, Mon was a third round pick for a reason. Um, he fell to that spot for a reason, and it's because he wasn't viewed as this like tailor-made NFL-ready guy. And his rookie season was such a wash. And how much can you really take out of it because of so, such few chances that he got under Mike Zimmer? So uh, earlier this year on the pod in the offseason, I said uh, when people asked Kellen Mond questions and Sean Mannion, backup quarterback, I was like, um, let me channel Tom Moore and say, if Kirk Cousins gets hurt, you're screwed. And we don't talk about screwed on this podcast. Um, and but but also feel free to change my mind. And so far, there has been no mind changing. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins has had times where he's clearly adjusting to things with this offense. And even he has looked a little bit like, am I supposed to throw it there? Is it time to let it rip and so forth? Mond uh, has arm strength and he's got more zip on the ball than he did last year. I think that's noticeable. He let one loose yesterday, maybe 55 yards down the field where he really uh, kind of showed his arm strength. But there's just it's just so far behind where it should be as far as the timing of these plays. And there aren't many that are even working at all. So it's not just the accuracy, which it hasn't been very good to begin with. It's like the plays aren't really working at all. And it sort of reminds me of when we were covering Kyle Slaughter and the practices and you would just see like no success at all in the 11 on 11s. And that was why Mike Zimmer said the practices matter the most because the guy in the games in the preseason game in a fourth quarter or something might be able to run around and do something. But if you're playing real starters in real games, you have to deliver those passes to the first read. And, and I, I love that PFF put out the stat that it's like 67% of NFL passes are first read. So that means two out of three times, you better be dropping back and hitting it. But Sean Mannion is doing absolutely nothing to make it not Kellen Mond. Who's the backup because uh, like you think that Kirk Cousins checks down sometimes like every practice rep is a check down for Sean Mannion. He's rarely pushing it at all. And so he's, I mean, kind of like this very low bar that Mond has to get over. I also wonder if they sit and wait, actually what the Vikings did last year to the end of training camp. And then somebody else gets released around the league or there's some journeyman still out there or something. And they bring him in because if it continues to look like this, I mean, there's, there's no trust that they could even win one out of two games. If Kirk cousins had to sit out for any reason. Um, I agree with you, Andrew, that we can't like totally call it because there's a long way to go. There's preseason games to go, but I think at this point you wanted to see a little bit more as far as just dropping back, setting your feet, getting rid of the football. Cause we're not really seeing that at all. Yeah. I'm with you. I think both things can be true. Like there's, there's a month until cut down day. There's a full month for Monta to show us some things and the preseason games are going to be really important evaluation reps. But also I agree with, with Matt, like you would have liked to, I think, see a little bit more progress at this point. Uh, let's talk about the offensive line. And we're not going to talk about, at least right now, the right guard competition, or at least not exactly because Jesse Davis has been with the ones at right guard, every single rep other than on Tuesday when he had a vet day. The interesting thing to me uh, in the interior offensive line is that on Tuesday when Jesse Davis was out, it was not Chris Reed at right guard. It was Ed Ingram, the rookie second round pick. And we saw Chris Reed working at center with the second team offensive line. So the, the interesting thing to me is like the one padded practice we saw, I was looking over, I was trying to watch both the receiver corner drills and the O-line D-line of the first one-on-ones of camp. 
And I happened to look over at the exact time that Harrison Phillips just put Garrett Bradbury on his back and made it look very easy. And um, I, I heard that that happened a second time as well. Uh, I did not see that one. But so, so my, my question is, like, how much should we read into Chris Reed potentially being groomed as this backup plan at center for Garrett Bradbury if these struggles that we've seen through his first three years just – kind of a complete inability to anchor and pass block against these big defensive tackles. If that continues, and I don't think the Vikings really thought that that was going to change because you have this three-year sample size. I think the Vikings think, and Kevin O'Connell thinks, that maybe they can mitigate that somehow with scheme or with responsibilities, and there are things that Bradbury does well. But how much should we read into, again, this is very early. We've seen one padded practice, but Bradbury still looking like Garrett Bradbury in in pass protection, and Chris Reed – not seeming to be in the mix to start at right guard, but seeming to be more of a versatile backup where he could he could play guard, but he also has been working on his snaps at center after practice and, and, and things like that. Yeah, I do think um, Wes Phillips basically tipped the hand. I think it was not this past availability, but the, the time he spoke before that, when he basically said it's Jesse Davis's job at right guard. I don't think there's really even a competition ongoing. I think they're understanding that we're going to give Jesse Davis time off. We're going to make sure this guy is healthy week one. Uh, he's the veteran who's played all these different snaps at guard and tackle. He seems to be the guy. So with that said, you might as well groom at Ingram to be as ready as possible at that spot if you decide to make a change because you take him in the second round, much like Andrew Booth, because you expect him to be a player and a starter at some point. So at center, Chris Reed's never, I believe, he's never played a snap at center in a regular season game in the NFL. All of his snaps have come at guard. So if and he's played some center in, in the preseason, but that's a different animal. If they, yeah, and if they're looking for a contingency plan for Garrett Bradbury, it should be out of this building and on a different roster it, or a free agent. It should not be what they're looking at right now. And that's if they get to that point where they decide we need to eject on this Garrett Bradbury project right now. Um, I think they need to give him some more time. They need to see him against Harrison Phillips a lot more than a couple reps. Um because these are issues that Garrett Bradbury has put on tape over and over and over. They're aware of it. They know of it. They're scheming around it, certainly. And if it gets to a point where in preseason games, they're like, oh, gosh, this isn't even salvageable. We need to move on. I question whether or not Chris reads that actual answer. I would think it's got to be somebody outside the building. And when it comes to scheming around it, the thing that I don't understand is, I mean, do you not think the previous coaching staff tried to scheme around it? I mean, they certainly did. But when someone just gets blown up like that by stronger players, which is why those couple of reps against Harrison Phillips were so notable because like that's Harrison Phillips MO. He's this big giant, strong dude who plays defensive tackle and can penetrate a little bit. And he just blasts you in a one-on-one when even Wyatt Davis like was fine in the one-on-ones for the most part. Like usually you don't see linemen getting thrown, um, not at the NFL level. You'll see that in like high school tape where everybody's standing around and somebody gets thrown, but not like this in the NFL. And not that we thought that this was going to really change anyway. And as far as like first guessing some off season, uh, I don't know, things they overlooked, we'll say like this would be one of them is not having a legitimate center competition with somebody else in here. And if you're scrambling now that you don't like what you've seen and go your offensive line coach is going, uh, guys, can I get a little help here? 
um, that's not good. Like scrambling to hope that Chris Reed can change positions. I mean, who does this sound like? This sounds like the last regime with like, oh no, this guy can't play the position. Let's try Ole Udo there. Like we, we drafted Wyatt Davis and that was bad process. Uh, and then you end up with bad process moving Udo and now it could be bad process with moving Chris Reed. And then you just expect the guy to be better, but it's like, you guys realize that he, this man was benched, benched a first round draft pick straight up, put on the bench for Mason Cole last year. And Mason Cole was traded by his team here. Like this is just not uh, something that was unforeseeable by any means. And if uh, Bradbury struggles here, continues to struggle to the point where they think a change has to be made. See, I, I kind of think, Andrew, that they have almost no other choice but to go with Chris Reed because if you're bringing someone in at the last minute, it's like you're asking that person to now adjust to a whole offense in a position that requires a lot of changing of protections and all these things, right? I mean, you're asking a lot of a center to just come in and play. Uh, you kind of have to go with Chris Reed at least to start. Yeah, and, and maybe you end up signing somebody in free agency in a week or two. It doesn't necessarily need to be right before the regular season. But the, the, the Bradbury struggles are also notable because this guy spent the offseason talking about how I'm getting above 300 pounds again. I'm trying to add weight, trying to add strength, and then here we are. Yeah, it, it, I feel like that's kind of maybe been a storyline in previous offseasons as well. Like Garrett Bradbury's adding mass and he's bulking up and – um, the results just haven't changed. And again, we'll, get, we'll give them a lot of a lot more time than this. I, I was literally going off of like two one-on-one reps. Uh, it's hard to evaluate really the the team stuff, uh, even in padded practices as far as offensive linemen, unless they get completely like blown up on a play. But uh, yeah, and you mentioned, Kyle, you mentioned Wyatt Davis, and he's kind of been relegated to the third team offensive line. Uh, Chaz Surratt, another third round pick last year, who's been running with the threes. Uh We'll see. A, l- a long way to go for some second-year players on this roster. Before, I had a couple uh, of position battles that I wanted to hit on quickly, but are there any other like early training camp storylines or, or standouts that either of you wanted to, to touch on? Yeah, I, I, two guys that have stood out to me. Um, I think K.J. Osborne's looked phenomenal. And, and I think when we talk about who's wide receiver three and all this stuff, I think he answered it last year, and I think he's answering it again this year. And then also – we talk about the first defensive back off the bench If they're going to have any dreams of doing a lot of dime packages or having, you know, even if it's not Chandon Sullivan as the nickel, somebody else in there Cam Bynum as I thought looked pretty good as well. And those two guys have stood out to me quite a bit and, and guys who seem to be carving some roles out. Yeah. I was just going to bring up Lewis scene and we haven't talked about the first round pick hardly at all, because I, I think that the very reasoned take is let's wait and seen. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Uh, on, uh, oh on him, but he, he isn't, <laughs> <laughs> he, but he isn't getting first team reps at all, except for when, uh, Harrison Smith sat out practice, but not any otherwise it's been entirely Harrison Smith and Cam Bynum. And I remember even asking Harrison Smith about, Hey, like, what's it going to be like to play with someone who's more athletic? And he was like, well, I'm sure they got a plan for how this is going to play out. He, he was like non-committal on Lewis scene playing next to him. And I guess I wonder, I want you guys to give me a date. Like what date should we start saying uh, what's going on with Lucene? Because that date is not today and it's probably not even by the end of this week, but there is definitely a date. So what do you guys think it is? Maybe, I don't know, August 23rd. 
two preseason games in. That, I just made that date up, but I think that's two preseason games in uh, and, and one more to go. It's a, it's a great segue that both of you brought up because I had this in my notes, like Cam Bynum and Lewis Seen, has that, have our opinions changed at all on that position battle from what we've seen so far? I don't know that they have. I think to, to Andrew's point, Lewis, uh, not Lewis Seen, Cam Bynum has had some impressive moments. Like he's been in good position. He dropped a, an interception the other day. Um, he, he's looked good for the most part. He also got burned deep one time and I think was out of position another time. Like every player is going to have kind of good reps and bad reps. I don't. I think Cam Bynum's been good, but I don't think he's been so lights out that you're like, oh wait, he's gonna he's gonna for sure like hold on to this job. And, and Lewis Seen has also had kind of an inconsistent camp with some good moments and some bad moments running with the twos. Uh, he's he's been like just a step, a half step behind making a couple plays, and and is, you've seen him kind of express some frustration after that. And that's gonna come like just just getting more reps, getting more comfortable in this defense. Um, and they've also we've seen them both on the field at times, and more more so I think in walkthrough than in than in team periods. But there there might be some looks where they're in dime and and they have both of those guys on the field. To me, that battle, my opinion on it, hasn't really changed. I, I think Cam Bynum is a good player, and he's a young player too, with, with with maybe more upside than we might think. But I still think eventually this is Lewisine's job to kind of lose. Yeah, Lewis Seen is, is certainly going to be the starter. If he's not the starter of that San Francisco game, um, that's kind of what teams treat as the dress rehearsal now, that second game where you kind of trot all the starters out. If Lewis Seen's not the guy there and it's still Cam Bynum, that's when you can start to be like, okay, maybe he's not the week one starter and maybe they haven't trusted him at that point. Um, Cam Bynum, I think, is just a sub-package player in this defense. And one who's going to get a lot of roles probably with Donatel, but – and earn one maybe. And again, if Shannon Sullivan's also got nobody talks about, he wasn't that great with Green Bay. He was a budget option to come in here at corner. And if you view that somehow Cam Bynum, a former college corner, can be a better kind of slot DB nickel option, like maybe he, maybe that's his role or a role if they kind of mix him in with, with Sullivan instead of relying on Sullivan on every passing down. Um, but you don't take Lewis Seen in the first round, talk him up the way they've talked him up, off the record, on the record and not expect that guy to be your immediate starter next to Harrison Smith and, and maybe even a successor for Harrison Smith in a year or two. So I, I think, I don't think it's time to freak out, but I think that September or August, excuse me, 20th um, date against the Niners is the time you want to see seen in that starting lineup. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's probably a very reasonable way to look at it is a couple of weeks from now, if it's any different, or if he's not even getting any first team reps, through the next few weeks, especially even when they practice against uh, San Francisco here, when they have those joint practices, those are like semi-dress rehearsal-ish things too for teams now with one fewer preseason game. Don't you like that NFL teams found like a different way to get the same work in for <laughs> yeah. these players? Like the players are probably like, yay, no fourth preseason game. They're like, oh yeah, well, trust me, we'll figure out a way. Uh, but I remember last year feeling like the practices with Denver were really important to the coaching staff and that they use those as big evaluation pieces. So how he looks um, will matter a lot. And what it's going to come down to that's, I think, hard for everyone that's a rookie is just if Cam Bynum has this thing mastered, we could even see like a BC Johnson beats out Justin Jefferson situation where the first couple of games it's that way. And then eventually scene comes in, but um, for the safety position, it feels like you really should be taking those first team reps just a couple of, uh, of of weeks like before the season. You really need to be in that position. 
Yeah, just a couple of weeks from right now, those joint practices against the 49ers are going to be really big, I think, for for the coaching staff and just for us to see uh, how different guys look, not just the safeties, but all these different position battles. And we've touched on like Cam Dantzler, Andrew Booth. We've touched on Jesse Davis probably having the right guard position locked up. I don't know that there are any other position battles of, of huge note. I, I would say maybe the fourth receiver spot is still a little bit intriguing to me. I think Amir Smith-Marset with what he did at the end of the season with his skill set where he was drafted last year. Um, to me, he, he entered the camp as the favorite for that and, and hasn't done anything to convince me otherwise. I know they've got some guys, Albert Wilson, BC Johnson, that have played more football than Amir Smith-Marset. But just with the Vikings talking about having that speed and um, just wanting diff- wanting different people to bring different things to the table at the receiver position, I think Smith-Marset brings that, brings that speed, brings that ability to stretch the field um, that other guys don't have. And, and they may rotate in a couple of guys at that fourth receiver spot, especially uh, if one of the top three has to miss time at all. But uh, yeah, to me, I mean, I don't think anything is, anything has changed in that regard. I think Amir Smith, Marset's still definitely the favorite there. I, and I would, I would actually disagree. I turned to Matt at one point really? in yesterday's practice and said, BC Johnson is going to be the reason, or excuse me, Amir Smith, Marset's going to be the reason they can't cut BC Johnson because BC Johnson is there's a reason why he started over Justin Jefferson and not because he's more talented, but because he knows where to line up. He's one of the more reliable guys that coaches that coaches just put a lot into that knowing like, Hey, if I call a play, you're going to do the right thing. You're not going to get flagged because you're too far off the line before the snap, or you're running the wrong route or not running into the right depth, all those things. And Amir Smith-Marset had a lot of times yesterday where coaches were pulling him off to the side and correcting him on things. There was one play on a screen where he just didn't block. K.J. Osborne gets blown up, and Kirk Cousins, of all people, stepped in and said, if we don't block this, it's not going to be run right. Amir's got to show that he can be reliable. And you're right. he's more. I think he's more talented than B.C., and his upside is greater, and he'll be on the roster. But right now, B.C. looks like the number four to me just because coaches can trust him, and I think it's that simple. Yeah, I think that coaches are always going to be coaches when it comes to this, whether it's the Zimmer regime or the O'Connell regime. And so Smith Marset has a couple of weeks here to prove that he can master all the details because I, I think you and I must have been standing next to each other, Andrew, when that happened, because it was just like, okay, he did something very wrong on that play. Um, but we see maybe too much of that with Smith Marset, but clearly the skill is higher. And is it a development thing that takes even another year for him? Is it never there? You know, somebody like Stacy Coley, for example, had great physical skill, but it was just never there. And there's been players way better, way more physically skilled. Cordero Patterson, where it was not there and coaches couldn't trust him to run routes and things like that. Uh, so you, if you're not mastering it, then somebody like BC is going to get that job or Albert Wilson, who I do hear coaches saying, oh, great job, Albert, or good route or whatever out there, like the veteran. This guy has stayed in the league at five foot nine and 170 pounds. So I kind of am interested in Albert Wilson and where he fits in in all this. I think that it's possible all of them make it, or it's possible that maybe one of those guys ends up getting cut. It doesn't look like right now that's going to be BC Johnson. Um, so that battle, that battle is worth is worth watching closely, especially in the preseason games, which I think will matter a lot. Um, can I ask a, a, a wrap up question for the show? Well, it's the Reggets Roundtable, but I want to ask one no, question. If that's please okay. do. All right. What 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 has the, been the biggest challenge uh, reporting wise for you guys so far? 
Go ahead. <laughs> Biggest challenge reporting wise. Wow. That's covering the NFL. I all of a sudden it's like the matrix. I just saw like 9,000 letters and like <laughs> reasons kind of fly across my face. Like, which one do I pick? Um, biggest challenge reporting wise, boy, I, I do enjoy the don't shoot video at certain portions of practices. I like that, how they're re requesting of fans not to do that, but that's not the biggest challenge. I think the biggest challenge is, um, right now not having an open locker room yet. They do, typically don't do that in training camp. So our access to players has not been the exact same. We're not getting as many at the podium. Um, you're having to hunt them down and it's not being, I don't know, it's not being set up in the same way that maybe it used to be. So we're getting access rolled back in the NFL continually. It's like every year we have to fight off these waves of restrictions, whether it's what to shoot for, for photos or videos or who to talk to or when you can talk to them. Uh, I don't know how much fans care about all that, but they should care about it because that's how we become more informed and how we can kind of help you guys understand what exactly is going on. So to me, it's just that continual wave of restricting access. I, yeah, I don't know that I have anything to add to it. I think those two are the kind of big things. I think the, I think the video thing is just really like asinine. Like if you're, if you don't want people taking videos and showing what you're doing, then like, a, like either don't have fans at these practices if you're going to ask them not to shoot video or like don't show things in these open practices that like the Packers could possibly gain some sort of advantage from. So to me, that, that that's a little weird. Um, just the kind of concern that some of the new regime has shown over uh, over things like that. But, hey, we're, we're, we're working with what we got and it's been a, it's been a good solid camp so far, I would say. I think for you and me, Will, it's us versus the sun. The sun is. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't thinking about the question in that way, but you are absolutely right. It's it's reapplying multiple times a day. I mean, yesterday was 90 plus and my entire body was just like a, a sheer layer of sweat and sunscreen mixed together. And it was not particularly enjoyable, but. See, that's, see, I, I was not going for super serious and both of you guys were like, well, you know, the access and concerning in the future and the fan. And I'm just like, I meant the sun, like with the, where we do the press conferences, there's shade when they start, but then as the press conference goes on, the shade disappears. And then we're all like huddling to the side of Kevin O'Connell or something like, like a bunch of, like a pack of animals. It's just like, we just don't want to get toasted over here. Well, for me, then it's actually been the wind because it's been like 20 mile an hour winds every single time. And every recording that I try to go back and listen to, it's just this constant, like it sounds like we're in a wind tunnel every single time. So the sun, the wind, just the elements, you know, the elements. Yeah, it's tough out there. It's tough out there. But we <laughs> well, uh, Will, another beautifully orchestrated Raggett's Roundtable. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I saw an article today that people are paying podcast hosts up to $50,000 to appear. Not, not the host paying the guest, but the guest paying the host. So I will await uh, my payment from you guys. I'll look forward to that. There will be a Diet Dr. Pepper on your desk. That, that's all I got. <laughs> this was Thanks fun. so much Thanks, for, your, for your time, Andrew. Thanks, guys. Thanks.